Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our first off-season episode of The Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley, and with me, as always, in studio today is Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you today? It's a great Baltimore day once again. Pretty cool out, and uh, I love fall, so it's great to see. Not not overly cold like it was a few weeks ago. Um, it's tolerable today, but you can tell that the fall season is here, and winter's right around the corner. So... All right, well, everybody, welcome to the Batter Round. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, Zach, before we get started, and this is something I didn't put in my notes, and I wanted to talk about it a little, a little bit. There was an article on MLB.com about the Orioles, how they performed at the alternate training site. And, you know, the, the, the typical names that you would see, Adley Rutschman, they said, was clearly the best player there, right? And they talked about Grayson Rodriguez. They talked about D.L. Hall and how they performed down there and that they look good. Um they said that even though Grayson Rodriguez only had 94 innings, he got a lot of work down at that at that training site uh, this summer. So he might have he might be a step or two behind where he would have been if they had a season. But it seems like he and DL Hall and all those other prospects are going to be well prepared for the upcoming minor league season in 2021. But the one that I was the most excited about, what I read about was uh, Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson was drafted at 17 years old. Uh, he went down and played uh, at 18 in the Gulf Coast League. Fared fairly well. Hit 259 in, I believe, 18 games down there. Of course, the Orioles Gulf Coast uh, team wa- won the championship. They didn't have a playoffs because of the hurricane, um, but they ended up being crowned champions down there for the Gulf Coast League because they were in first place by a pretty wide margin. Uh, and Gunnar Henderson was right in the middle of that. He gets to the alternate training site, and they said that he struggled. At the beginning, because he's facing double A, triple A, and four A pitchers at that training site. But they said within a couple of weeks, he was making a name for himself. He was standing out. He was handling it. He was handling the bat well. And they said that he was one of the players that stood out the most at that alternate training site. And it has to have you excited for the future because, as we all know, the Orioles are thin up the middle in their system. All of their best middle infield prospects are at the low levels of the minor leagues. So it has to make you feel a bit excited that they have a guy like Gunnar Henderson. He was a second-round draft pick, and they had to overpay him to make sure he didn't go to college. And he's he's performing well against a higher-level competition than he's ever faced before. Yeah, look, I mean, any time you draft a high school guy, I, I think your expectations have to be a little bit lower because they do take a little bit longer than college guys to develop, especially a, a high school uh, bat or arm. It's just uh, it's very, very hard to develop them compared to college players, but sometimes they even have a higher ceiling depending on how the development goes. Gunnar Henderson is not a guy... I really think about a lot. He's not a guy that is very close to the major leagues yet, but to hear that he's hitting AAA pitching and some pitching that is really, really excellent, like Grayson Rodriguez, is really good to hear. And uh, of course, there's, there's guys like Eshelman down there and and other guys who have pitched there that have pitched in the major leagues for the Orioles this year. So it's good to hear he's doing well. Um, you know, I, I definitely think he's got a really good bat. I'm not sure he can stick at shortstop. That's going to be the question um, going down the road because he is a bigger guy. 
He's kind of stocky. I think his profile fits third base a little bit more. Right. But to hear that he's hitting the ball well, that's kind of what matters for a guy like him. Um, you know, he's only 18, 19 years old, so he's got a lot of development to do. But if, if he's hitting these guys well at Bowie, that's certainly a first step. Absolutely. And uh, they said that he's, t- that he's showing to be a five-tool player. Uh, and if he's a five-tool player, maybe he can't handle shortstop. He still he hasn't played a full season of professional baseball yet, so we can kind of pump the brakes a little bit. We have no idea. Maybe he profiles as a third baseman, but maybe as he gets bigger and stronger and grows into his, his adult body, he can handle the shortstop position. He's going to get every opportunity, too, uh, down there. They're going to work him all over the infield and see where he fits the best. Uh, just as a reminder, I want to let you know that the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Uh, on the show coming up today at 1020, we're going to have Stan the Fan Charles, as always, for his weekly segment. Going to talk to us about the playoffs, uh, about the Orioles season in review, which we're going to get into in just a second here, uh, and how he feels about the Orioles moving forward. We have Todd Karpovich of RavensCountry.com and SportsIllustrated.com, a real jack-of-all-trades here in Baltimore and across the country, really. He's going to be on at 10.55 to talk about what he saw from the Orioles and his expectations for the offseason. And then at 10.35, we're going to have Craig Heist join the program once again to talk a little bit about the Nationals. We haven't spent much time on the Nationals in the last month or so, so Craig's going to come on here and talk to us about them and what their plans are moving into the offseason and into 2021 to see if they can get back into contention. And all that is before we get to Take to Rake Playoff Edition. Moving back to the Orioles, they finished the season 25-35, and 35, and before the season started, I said that 25-35 and 35 would be a successful season for the Orioles if you're, if you're looking specifically at uh, wins and losses. And 25-35 and 35 is, where, is where they ended up. Solid, solid season for them. It translates out to about 68 wins, which was 14, which would have been 14 wins more than they had last year. Seven wins more than they had the year before, as far as uh, 2018 to 2019. Um, which means, if you're going to keep doubling up, the Orioles should win 96 games next year. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, there's a good possibility there that they could win win more than they have uh, done in, in 18 and 19. But, you know, to only be five games back of 500 is, is pretty solid, and I would definitely say that's successful. You know, n- next year, if, if they were to win 80 games or, or somewhere in that territory, I, I think we'd all be pretty thrilled. That's exactly where we want them to be. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're not really – built for that yet maybe maybe not yet there's still those waves of younger players coming up but to be only five games back of 500 if that had happened in 2018 or 2019 i think we'd be a lot farther along in the rebuild so you know we're uh, you know we're pretty excited as fans to see them being almost a 500 team this season absolutely and of course we all know at least i would hope you would know that me saying they're going to win 96 games next year is very tongue-in-cheek they're not going to win 96 games next year also i want to point out and i left this out about todd karpovich that he is our beat writer here at Pressbox and pressboxonline.com so left that out but that's the most important part because we're a show show on Pressbox. uh back to the orioles john means impressive in his final four starts 23 and the third innings pitch four earned runs 30 strikeouts, 12 hits, 3 walks, and a 154 ERA over those last four starts. Took a no-hitter into the sixth inning in his last start. 21 strikeouts over his last two starts. Very impressive for John Means. He, uh, He looked like the ace of the staff in his last four starts. So that was something that was certainly good to see. Lowered that season ERA from 810 to 453 over those final four starts. 
Now, I want to talk a little bit about the bullpen. The bullpen finished the season with a 390 ERA. They were a top 10 unit in all of Major League Baseball. This Orioles bullpen that had a lot of the same guys from that staff that had a 579 ERA last year historically the worst bullpen era in the history of the game before this year when three teams i believe had eras over six and the, and the phillies were at like 771 but this is a truncated season there should be an asterisk next to that over 162 game season last year orioles bullpen all-time worst and then they become a top 10 unit in 2020 yeah it's impressive and they've clearly made strides and it also shows that mike elias is finding these guys that aren't necessarily top talents and making them into really good bullpen pitchers. I, I do think there is some reason that this bullpen was so good, and maybe that is just being a 60-game season. How would they have fared over a 162-game season? We don't know, but it, it probably would have been definitely better than 2019 for sure, better than 2018, which were two pretty bad bullpens for the Orioles. But, yeah, I, I do want to mention on John Means, too. You know, he had a, had a really rough start to the season, but it, it just kind of threw him for a lot of a loop a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, you know, his, his father unfortunately passed away, and he had some injury issues. He had the dead arm. But he also started throwing 95, 96, and when he started toning it down to 93, 94, that's where he started to find su- right. his success. And, th- and that's a little bit more than what he did last year. He was throwing about 91, 92. So he increased it, but not to the point where he was losing his command. So John Means definitely took a step forward. I, I definitely thought he would regress a little bit, and I think he did. But I still think there's reason to hope next year he can be a good pitcher for the Orioles. Well, yeah, he, he, he regressed in the first half of the season. There's no doubt, again, with his father passing, and that's an awful thing to deal with, especially in the middle of a baseball season. Um, so he, he had a bit of that dead arm at the end of the revamp of um, – the ramping up of spring training slash summer camp. Um, so he 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 started the year, I, I guess, a little bit on the IL. They limited his innings, limited his pitches. He really didn't start to get the handcuffs off until his last five or six starts. And then finally, a little bit of a pep talk from Brandon Hyde got him going and four really, really great starts to end the year. Uh, getting back to that bullpen, led by guys like Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez, Sean Armstrong, Paul Fry, Dylan Tate, all of these guys had marked improvements. Scott Tanner Scott improved his ERA from 4.78 to 1.31. Valdez hadn't pitched in the league since 2017, and his ERA was 7.63. It was 1.26. Uh, Sean Armstrong 5.74 to 1.80. Paul Fry 5.34 to 2.45, and Dylan Tate 6.43 to 3.24. The most impressive arm out of that bullpen was Tanner Scott. He had a batting average against of 164, a whip of 106, down a down 0.5 in his whip from last year. Um, in his previous best, he was down. I'm, I'm sorry, he was down 0.5 from his previous best, and he was down 0.72 in his whip from last year. Really impressive stuff there from Tanner Scott. Allowed more hits and in innings pitched in each of his first three seasons, but allowed just 12 hits in 20 and two thirds innings this past year for the. Uh, the Orioles bullpen. So Tanner Scott really showed out. We're going to talk about him a little bit when we give out some awards uh, later in the program. And this was all without mentioning Hunter Harvey and without mentioning Brandon Klein, who had a limited sample size but pitched really well in his limited time. So uh, rotation started to really kind of round out with Aiken and Kramer. Uh, you're looking like you're going to have a top four of Aiken, in no particular order, Aiken, Kramer, Means, and Cobb. Are you confident with this Orioles rotation going into next season? 
I, I do think I'm confident. I, I wouldn't say that this rotation is going to be amazing, but I do think they will definitely, you know, have starts where they're going to go five or six innings, and I think a lot more of these starts than what we've seen in the past few years from the Orioles. But I, I don't know how Aiken and Kramer will do. You know, they're of course they're young pitchers, and their development is still they're working on it. It's not done yet. These guys are far off from being the players the Orioles want to get them to being. Means and Cobb, they're going to be, you know, a third year for Means now, and Cobb's been around for a long time. So those guys, you kind of know what you're going to get, and, and I think Means showed exactly the pitcher he can be, and Cobb showed the pitcher he can be at the end of the year this year. You know, Aiken is just going to have to keep working on his pitches command. He's going to have to keep working on getting better stuff. He has a long way to go, I think, and Kramer has the stuff, but just not getting himself into big innings, I think, is the big thing for Dean Kramer. He's going to have to make sure that he can he can stay confident and, and not have these innings blow up on him. Well, and the main thing there is he needs to trust his stuff a little bit more. Absolutely, he, yeah. He, he, he nibbled a little bit, had some trouble with walks. Now we get the pitch count elevated. We fall behind a lot of counts, but still managed to, to navigate his way through a lineup and, and get some big timeouts and big time situations. But yeah, absolutely, he needs to limit that pitch count and get himself deeper in the ball games if he wants to be successful. And I think that he will. Everybody thinks that Dean Kramer is going to have a solid career uh, in the majors in the starting rotation. And I, and I tend to agree. Keegan Aiken. You know, everybody was talking about how this is a guy who had success starting in the minor leagues, but he profiled more as a bullpen arm, maybe a swing man, maybe a, a later inning guy uh, at the major league level. But I think he proved that he deserves an extended look in the starting rotation. He had a lot of success this year for the limited time that he was up here, and all of his starts were in the AL East. All against the Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays. He didn't face another team. Uh, well, that's stupid to say. I just realized that's stupid to say because they played the entire season in the AL East. They, he could have started against a National League East team, but by then that part of their schedule was basically over. Um, so, But no, he, he, he showed against the big dogs, all three teams that made the playoffs, in the American League East, that he belonged. So I, I think the future could be bright for Keegan Aiken. I don't know that he's a top-of-the-rotation guy. I think he's more a back-end guy, but you need that guy on your team. So you mentioned Cobb. You mentioned John Means. I uh, think that they're really only looking for one more starter to slot in, but I think they're going to have a lot of guys in competition in spring training. Uh, you're going to see some guys like Zimmerman and Zach Lowther and Ballman um, and Alex, Alexander Wells, who are getting an opportunity to show what they can do uh, during spring training down in Sarasota. And I also, I do believe, because they do it every year, I believe that they're going to sign a minor league free agent veteran um, to a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training like Tommy Malone or Wade LeBlanc. You could see both those guys back in the fold next year. Um, and then if they pitch well again, trade them at the deadline. Yeah, because they seem to like him, I would say that Jorge Lopez also has kind of an inside track to that fifth starter spot. But I do agree. I, I think they will sign someone, if if not on a minor league deal, then a, then a very cheap major league deal. They, they might make that move just to get some depth. I don't know if Bauman's quite ready or Lowther's quite ready. I think they may, may be more midseason promotion guys for the Orioles. But right, but they're going to get an opportunity right, in the spring. For, for sure. And the Orioles are almost sure to make a waiver claim or two as well. Yeah. You know, they, they claim a lot of guys. You know, waivers kind of were, were off kilter a little bit because of the COVID and the, the shortened season, but waivers will be pretty much back to normal in the offseason, we assume, so there will be a lot of guys getting DFA'd that Mike Elias will have a pretty high waiver claim on. 
Yeah, th- th- there's, there's going to be a lot of competition. I mean, you're not just going to go in there with five arms. You're going in there with probably you're probably going to see ten to twelve arms. Oh yeah, for, 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 for sure. Th- that are that are having an opportunity to crack that starting rotation. You and I are not very high on Jorge Lopez. He has a bit of an electric arm, but his peripherals aren't good. Um, sometimes struggles with control and sometimes struggles with the long ball. We saw that this year. So Jorge Lopez is going to get a shot, but it's up to him. He by no means has. Uh, the inside track, if you want to put it that way, to a rotation spot because people are going to be up there and they're going to be they're going to be challenging him for that spot. You know, we're 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 running a little bit long here before we get stand on, so I just want to go over the next parts of this briefly. The outfield really stood out to me this year. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle came up, he hit the ball as advertised, got on base better than advertised, uh, and he, he fielded better than advertised out there. Really held his own out in left field, solidified that spot. That was kind of a question mark for the first half of the season. Uh, center field. Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins can both really go get it out there. They, they, they both can fly. They both cover a lot of ground. Um, and they seem to make a highlight real play every week. And it's just it's nice to have two different guys who can cover so much ground out there. And you have Ryan McKenna waiting in the wings who can also cover a lot of ground out there. Right field, it's going to be Santander next year. He had a nice season, but he missed the final 23 games of that oblique strain. But when he went out... He was leading the team in home runs, doubles, and RBIs. Finished first in home runs, second in doubles, third. Um, first in, I'm sorry, second in home runs, tied for first in RBIs, third in doubles. So he had a nice season out there. That's probably that's going to be his job next year. And DJ Stewart, really tough start to the season. We talked about it a lot, but seven home runs in eight games, kind of cooled off there at the end. But he showed flashes of what he could be, and that's why he was a first round draft pick. In the infield, I'm still not sold on Rio Ruiz. Still not sold on Hanser Alberto. Um, Ruiz actually had a positive war defensively. He was one of two players, along with Andrew Velasquez, who had a positive war defensively for the team. So maybe that's why Velasquez stayed up here as long as he did. Um, Alberto, really underwhelming to me. Yeah, he, he hit 283, hit 305 last year, but that, that excitement kind of wore off on me because he doesn't get on base, he chases a lot of pitches, doesn't have a great exit velocity, um, a lot of really like slap bloop singles. He had, he had a fair amount of doubles, about 15, 16 doubles, but he had like 13 three weeks into the season, so he really slowed down there too. Not sold on him at second base, not sold on Ruiz at third base, especially with the inconsistent bat. Iglesias, when he started at shortstop, the team was a 500 ball club. When he didn't, they were you know 10 games below 500. So if he can stay healthy, hit 373, he would have won a batting title if he had you know 44 more bats. So you're looking at if he had played in 11 more games, he would have won a batting title. Never went into a slump this year. So uh, Zach, you have an opinion about something that you want to talk about right now while I get stand on the line. Go ahead and sound off for us. All right. So today we're going to talk about Billy Epler, the former now former Angels GM. They just fired him at the end of the season. And and I wanted to talk about today the fact that sports teams keep blaming their failures solely on the GM and the manager. And they don't look at all the other problems that go on. And, and I think Billy Epler is one of those guys that, that really fits this profile. He gave the, the Angels so many assets that they could just never make it happen with. He gave them Rendon. He gave them Otani. Of course, he locked up Trout for a lifetime contract. He got Andrelton Simmons over there. He's done more and more things to keep this team a a good team and put them in contention, but they just can't play that way. You look at Dylan Bundy, had a great season. Billy Epler brought them over. I'm not sure what the Angels wanted out of Billy Epler, and I'm not sure what they're going to get 
after Billy Epler, you know, is is fired now and, and they hire a new guy. I'm not sure what they expect out of him. You know, he he didn't acquire a frontline starter. I think that's where you look at your issue, but he gave this lineup a, a ridiculous amount of talent and they couldn't perform. You know, they, they've had a lot of losing seasons. I get it. But Billy Epler is really not the problem here, in my opinion. I certainly agree with you. And I also think that a problem is you have Albert Pujols in right. the middle of that lineup. Which, and which, it, which wasn't Billy Epler's fault. Right. It wasn't Billy Epler's fault, but they're paying him so much money that you can't take him out of the lineup, and he's nowhere near the player that signed that contract way back in 2012. And they're kind of stuck. They're, ki- they're kind of stuck with him because as long as he wants to play, he's going to be on the roster because of, that, because of that contract. And like I said, not the player that he used to be, kind of a, a little bit more of a hole in the lineup now, and it's really impacting the rest of that lineup. Uh, speaking of... That team, I want to get uh, this guy's thoughts on Billy Epler's firing. Stan, the fan, Charles, is joining us right now. Stan, how are you today? I'm good, guys. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing great, Stan. How are you? Good, good, good. So, Stan, we were just talking about Billy Epler, the general manager for the Angels, who was just let go by the team. And Zach thinks that too much onus is put on managers and general managers when teams underperform. And out in L.A., they have Trout, they have Otani, you have uh, Justin Upton. They signed Anthony Rendon, and they signed Mike Trout to an all-world contract for 10 years prior to last prior to the 2019 season. Did Billy Epler do enough out there, or did he not do enough for that pitching staff to get that team into the playoffs, and that's why he lost his job? Well, I think part of the, the, part of the problem there is you have a very strong-willed owner uh, who clearly loves to spend money on off at the offensive side of the ball when when they've had an incredible run of bad luck with their pitching. Uh, and he never, as Zach just said, he never went out and really got a top-tier pitcher. Um, their, their, their priority should have been Garrett Cole. Not that they would have signed Cole, because Cole clearly wanted to be a Yankee. Right. But they didn't need Rendon as much as they needed a pitcher. And you guys both hit the nail on the head. They're stuck with that contract that the uh, ownership gave Albert Pujols. And I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now in who, uh, it was Jerry DePoto was the GM there. Uh, DePoto signed, uh, I'm pretty sure he signed both. No, I can't remember if, if DePoto signed Pujols or not, or his predecessor signed Pujols, but I know... DePoto signed Josh Hamilton, which at the time seemed like a great, a great idea to everybody. Uh, but you know, they they really misspent their money over the years, and uh, I think they're kind of stuck in that in that rut of uh, not having the kind of pitching they need. So they'll probably go for. A, I'm guessing the the word I'm hearing is Dave Dombrowski will be the guy that he kind of goes after. Uh, but I'm, I might mention that somebody uh, who would be very smart to, to consider is Dan Duquette, who was the Orioles' general manager for six seasons. Well, Dan did stress an interest in getting back into baseball, but I think it had to be the right fit for him. He has so much other stuff going on. And I'm glad you mentioned Josh Hamilton because I completely forgot about him. And you want to talk about Chris Davis' contract being one of the all-time worst. Josh Hamilton played... I don't even think he played a full season's worth of games for the Angels, and he got $25 million a year, and he, he, he didn't play. He didn't play for yeah. him, and, and they had to pay him all that money too, so I can understand where they feel where they would be 
they obviously weren't hesitant to keep giving out contracts, but I understand why they would feel snake-bitten out there in L.A. They, they really were snake-bitten. I'll never forget, I think it was the spring training about three years ago, I heard Billy Epler on, um, on one of the uh, MLB radio shows, and they were talking about how he had like nine or ten starters going into the season. And they said, and they were asking him whether he would trade the surplus. And he did have, I, I can't remember right now who the names were, but you, you'd say, you'd go, wow, he's really well fortified. And damn if, and, and Epler's answer was, now I think you need more than 10 starters to get through an MLB season. And damn if he wasn't right that year, within a month, he was down to about six of them, and then two or three more got hurt. Um, he he had terrible luck that way, but he did never really uh, hit hit the bullseye with getting a, a big time starting pitcher that they needed. Stan, you were right about the 2012 Angels GM that was Jerry Depoto, who worked with ownership to sign Albert Pujols. And at, at the yeah. time, it was a good. It looked like a good move. I mean, Albert Pujols was a former MVP. He's a, one of the greatest sluggers of all time at this point. So it looked like a good move, but kind of backfired for them in the long run for sure. Well, they, they knew, look, they, they could not have foreseen, I'm not even going to say they couldn't have foreseen how bad Pujols would become. They couldn't have foreseen the other problems that the team was going to have. They knew when they gave him that 10-year contract that it was two or three years too many. They, they needed to make a splash when they signed Pujols. So they were happy at the time. They just, they just got it co-mingled with so many other bad moves that didn't work out, you know. And in fairness to them, when they reacquired, not reacquired, when they acquired Justin Upton, Upton was like a top, uh, you know, a top-tier player when they got him from Detroit, and they moved quickly to extend him, and now he's turned into, you know, aside from the injury problems, he, he had a horrible season this year, Justin Upton, and I think they still have him signed for two or three more years. Yeah, they've got him locked up for another another few seasons. He was injured last year and didn't perform well when he when he came back. Didn't have a great year this year either. Something about yep. those those Upton brothers, man. They just they they they. Start off yeah, they, high. Go, they go fast. Yeah, they, they, go, they go real fast. Now, moving yeah. on to something that the Angels don't have a lot of experience with over the last decade, and that's the Major League Baseball playoff stand. And most of the mm-hmm. wild card series winners, they make sense. You had the A's over the over the White Sox, Yankees over over Cleveland, Rays over the Jays, teams like that. But then you have the twenty nine and thirty one Astros sweeping the Minnesota Twins. And yep. you have the 31 and 29 Marlins sweeping the NL division winning Chicago Cubs. Is this what all these people were getting upset about when they were talking about 16 teams being watering down the playoffs? Do you have have a problem with this, or is that just luck of the draw? I, I think it's it's actually uh, luck of the draw, and I think if you had eight series like this in any given season, you'd have probably one or two uh, misfires, you know. Uh, uh, or the expression in bridge is according to Hoyle, uh, you know, it doesn't go exactly the way you think. But I think we've got four very interesting series coming up with two of them, um, the the Padre-Dodger series and the Tampa-Yankee series, I think are very compelling series. I fully expect uh, both Oakland and Atlanta to take care of business 
against the upstarts, Houston and Miami. But I think those two two other series, Tampa and the Yankees and the Dodgers in L.A., I mean the Padres in L.A., Dodgers are really compelling series. I want to circle back real quick uh, to talk about teams that maybe should have been not in that playoff conversation. Obviously, Toronto Blue Jays are one of them who made it because of the 16 teams this year. But, you know, the way I look at it still, and I said this a few weeks ago, but it gave their fans a thing to root for. It gave their fans excitement and it showed them that their rebuild is kind of farther along than they think it is. But they got bounced pretty easily by Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay, clearly the more deserving team here. And, you know, that series should be really good coming up. Yeah, uh, listen, Toronto uh, had a, a very good season. Uh, you know, I remember they played the Orioles a bunch of close games that uh, had they gone the other way, the Orioles could have been almost, you know, very close to knocking on the door of the playoffs. Uh, but uh, I, I really think Tampa, Tampa's, you know, troika of starters with Snell, Morton, and Glasnow is, is awfully tough to beat. And the Yankees are going to need a, a big. Uh, they're going to need a big performance out of Jay Happ at some point in these playoffs if they're going to beat Tampa. Well, yeah. But but again, an opening matchup of Cole versus Snell should be very very exciting. Well, yeah, the, the Rays went, and I didn't know this until I saw it on the bottom line watching one of these games yesterday. The Rays went eight and two. Against the Yankees. Yeah, against the Yankees. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, the, the Rays proved that if they score runs, they're going to win. You know, now that, that's not always a given with them that they're going to score a ton of runs because I'm, I'm a little underwhelmed by that lineup. But if they score four or five runs, there's a good chance they're going to win that ball game. It should be an interesting matchup between the Yankees and Rays. Uh, I think we were hoping for a little bit better from, the, from Cleveland in that Yankees series. Yeah, I mean, look, in a three-game series, it's it's – when a team gets shut out, I mean, two zip in terms shut out in terms of winning a game, it looks like a blowout. You know, that series was a little bit closer than you would, uh, you know, it was a little closer than it might have ended up looking like. Uh, Cleveland is an awfully good team, and they they just got a shockingly bad performance out of Bieber, or you, if you want to say the Yankees did a really smart job with sort of, uh, you know. Um, jumping on things early and being very aggressive with them. Uh, and that was, you know, an uncharacteristic performance by Bieber, and maybe yeah. he was affected by the limelight of the playoffs. I'm not sure. What would be interesting to see over there is is the managerial situation. You know, Terry Francona, I believe, has another couple of years on his contract. He had some gastrointestinal problems, and he had a, a surgical procedure uh, he hasn't been in great health the last couple of years, and it'll be interesting to see if they really push to have him make sure he's okay to be in the dugout because they very much could lose uh, Sandy Alomar as a uh, you know as the interim manager. Uh, I would think he would be a candidate for any of the jobs, including this Tiger job that's opening up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. and the Red, and the Red Sox job. I mean, Sandy Alomar is a guy, Sandy Alomar Jr., who's been out there for a good while um, as, a, as a sort of uh, always a bridesmaid, uh, never a bride contender for a managing job. But this year, because of Francona's situation, um, Alomar got a chance to manage the Indians and, by all accounts, did a very, very good job. 
Stan, I want to make one. I want to make one other note about the playoffs. Now they got bumped yesterday, but make no mistake about it. The team that is really going to be really an exciting and potentially dominant team the next five to seven years is Chicago White Sox. That team has so much amazing talent on it. In uh, you know, okay, of course they'll continue having Abreu, but uh, Robert Jimenez, uh, Mancada, um, and Tim Anderson, uh, Yasmani Grandal, they are a really super offensive club. And Giolito is a top tier pitcher, uh, so they've got to add. They've got to add big surprise. They've got to add some pitching, uh, and they'll. I'm sure Jerry Reinsdorf who's probably just about 80 years old now, is going to probably invest mightily in going out with a, with a bang uh, and having a great team for three to five years. Stan, I want to get your thoughts on the Reds. They are the first team ever to be eliminated in a playoff series without scoring. They, they scored two uh, zero-run games against the Braves and pretty much looked overmatched. I want to know what you saw from them and, uh, and what you think it's going to look like for the Braves moving forward. Well, that was, that was actually a very compelling series. You know, uh, that's a, a big word for me. That's a 50-cent word, compelling. Uh, but um, they were shut out seven times during the season, uh, during the regular season, and then two times in the playoffs. So a total of nine uh, shutouts in 62 games. Uh, I, and and they've got, they've got a, a really tough time uh, in a small market like Cincinnati. They, they, they're saying all the right things about wanting to sign Trevor Bauer. And Trevor, he's clearly an odd enough guy that he might consider taking less money to stay in Cincinnati if he really loves it there. Uh, but my gut feeling is he will be the Angels' number one target uh, with whomever becomes the general manager of the Angels. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers don't make a big bid for him either. Uh, as good a season as Kershaw had in the regular season, uh, you know, he in a 60-game season, he was able to get through it without any injuries. Uh, but the rest of the rotation is not, is not, you know, fantastic. I know how great Bueller can be, but that blister problem could rear up, rear its ugly head at any point in time. Absolutely. Now, Trevor Bauer has been on record as saying that he would not take more than one-year deals multiple times. Um, yeah, well, he so says that. But he when, says that, but money talks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I now mean, you're looking at a two hundred million dollar, a plus two hundred million dollar contract. Oh, abs- yeah. absolutely. Especially yeah. if he's going to win the Cy Young Award this year. Now, yeah. now get into the Orioles. There's a bit of news. That came out about the from the Orioles camp this this week, uh, and Dan Conley wrote about it on the Athletic. They're getting rid of Robert uh, Robert Flores, Pedro Flores, and um, Doug Broke. Jose, Flo- Jose, Jose Flores. Jose Flores. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Right. I don't that's know why right. I always struggle with his first name. They're getting rid of Jose Flores and Doug Brocale. Uh They they haven't made an official announcement yet, but those guys are out. And in the article that Dan wrote. It was said that they were both told by Mike Elias that they just couldn't afford their salary, which is a little bit odd to hear from a major league ball club, especially one that's rebuilding, that they don't want to keep good guys, particularly Doug Brocale. What are your thoughts on Flores and, to a greater extent, the laying off of Doug Brocale from this Orioles ball club? 
Yeah, I have to be honest. Those were very disconcerting uh, decisions by the ball club. Um, If Chris Holt becomes the pitching coach and they just wanted to shore up being able to to hire him as the pitching coach so they didn't lose him to another team and they feel that strongly about Chris Holt, uh, then I can understand that. But to lose a, a third base coach... Um, and be referencing, you know, budgetary restraints. Uh, this is not an exciting message to the fans. But then again, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, I recently did a Zoom interview with John Moog, the former director of the Maryland Stadium Authority, and he works with a lot of clubs on, uh, on fu- you know, financing. This is a really... Uh, you know, a crisis situation for a lot of ownerships in in all of professional sports. Uh, the the sudden uh, takeaway of fans coming to games and being able to uh, have that revenue stream is going to put a hurt on the players. It's going to put a hurt on the the ownerships, uh, and of course the fans. Uh, you wonder what this is going to do long term for them. I mean, look, the Chicago Cubs are already talking about, they came out last week and mentioned that uh, they are sort of making contingency plans and and planning the worst-case scenario that they won't either have any fans in 2021 or they will have, you know, very limited fans in 2021. I mean, I think we understand now uh, despite what our president kept telling us, that this virus isn't just going to go away. Uh, and without severe um, so, some severe efforts at putting in, at changing the tide that we have going on in this country, why should we suspect anything's going to be vastly different next summer? Um, even if Joe Biden wins, he's not in until January, and anything that he would do would probably take a couple months to, to register uh, and, and have an effect. This has been a botched pandemic response, and, and sports fans are paying for it without being able to go to their games, and players are going to start paying for it with incredible reductions in their compensation at, at key moments in their career. You know, these players' careers... Uh, baseball's a little different than, than basketball and football, but, you know, they're not incredibly long periods of time. And, you know, Chris Davis, for as much as we want to knock him, guys, he earned the right to sign that contract, and he was due to get $21 million this year, and he got four $4 million this year. Um, you know, um, so, you know, everybody's hurting from this, so... We can raise our eyebrows at it, but let's let's be very clear. The Orioles are not going to go out and sign any big free agents this this off season. They were never going to um, anyway, right? What's that? They were never going to anyway, even without. They were, they were not going to anyway, but but they're not even going to sign a middling free agent. Okay, right? Um, this this situation could even cause them. To if they have to let go of Doug Burkow and uh, uh, Jose Flores uh, for 
budgetary reasons, you could see them possibly not even picking up the option on Jose Iglesias. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It would be sh- it would be shocking, but if it's done under that guise that they've got that that severe of budgetary restraints, then it's possible. Yeah, I think we all hope everything gets back to normal soon and fans get to visit stadiums again, but Rock Kubako did report that the team is looking for a different profile for their third base coach in Jose Flores and then as well a different profile for their pitching coach. What kind of profile do you think that the Orioles are really looking for? Well, I, I, I'm also told that uh, Brandon Hyde, and Brandon's a good soldier, he's not going to come out and blast this, but I understand he's not very happy with uh, the way this thing went down. Uh, uh, and I've been told that from somebody that knows, uh, knows the participants in all this. So I'm not quite sure what the profile they're looking at. I guess you could say that they, they might want to, bring in somebody that's younger and more analytically based. Uh, I certainly don't think, while I wouldn't give Jose Flores incredible marks at uh, his decision-making sending runners home, I certainly don't think he was let go because of anything having to do with uh, a, a rash of poor decisions on sending people home and getting them thrown out. So whatever the profile is, it might be somebody they think that can do a dual role. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I can't put my finger on what that would be. And, and why, if that's, if that's what you're really aiming at is having a different profile, why even mention the money? Um, you know, I don't know. It's just odd. The whole thing's odd to me. Yeah. You know, and I think, well, I don't think Doug Burkell's like a, a top 10 pitching coach. I certainly think that Doug Burkow is probably every bit as good a pitching coach as Richard Kranich was. And uh, at a very key time under Buck Showalter, Buck made the decision to bring in one of his people, and that turned out to be a disaster. When they let go of Richard Kranich, brought in Mark Connor, and then Mark Connor kind of re-retired after six weeks of the uh, 2013 season. Uh, and then we ended up with a, actually t- the 2012 season, and then we ended up with a disaster in Rick Adair, which yeah. uh, ultimately led to the trade of Jake Arrieta. Yeah, he he kind of ruined Jake Arrieta here in Baltimore. Yeah. And you look yeah. at you look at Doug Brocale, and it is you may be right. He may not be a top ten pitching coach in the league, but the improvements that that Orioles pitching staff made this year are are noteworthy. The the team ERA dropped from five fifty nine to four fifty one. Uh, homers dropped by just about a half a home run a game. The whip dropped from fifteen forty nine to one uh, to thirteen thirteen. Strikeouts were up. From seven point eight to eight point five, from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, he would not have been a, a guy I would have identified as a, a problem going into the off season. You know? Right, absolutely. And the bullpen ERA. We were talking about this a little bit before you came on, Stan. The the ERA in the bullpen last year was five seventy nine. This year it's yep. three ninety. They were a top ten bullpen in Major League Baseball. So seeing that the pitching in, coach, in, fair, in fairness to that number, though, if you recall. My big thing was that the Orioles pitching staff in two in 2019 had a 5.59 ERA, I think, collectively. Yeah. But I, I pointed out that in 344 of the 1,400 innings of 2019, the earn average was 7.7. 7. 
Well, that's the bullpen. That was the guys like Jimmy Yacobonis and a whole host of guys, uh, Mike Wright, that weren't on this roster. Yeah. The Orioles did a, a good job at, at having better arms on the pitching staff. And while I'm not discrediting Burkow, a lot of that change in bullpen ERA is the absence, the addition by subtraction of Mike Wright, Jimmy Yacobonis, and four or five other guys that were absolutely horrible. No, and, and you're, you're not wrong about that, but you also have to take into effect that the Orioles, midway through the season, got rid of Castro, Blyer, and um, Michael Gibbons. Yeah. Then you look yeah. at, at Tanner Scott, you look at Sean Armstrong and, um, yeah. and Paul Fry. All of these guys improved their ERAs by three-plus runs from last yep. year to this year. Now, look, it's a small sample size, right? Nobody got more than 20 to 23 games right. in, in this year out of that bullpen. You have no idea if – we're talking about April and May. You have no idea if June comes around, if these guys you know, blow up in, in, the, in the summer heat and it's their ERAs inflate to six for, for a month. Yep. We have no idea. Yep. Truncated season. Yep. So um, moving on, with, with the loss of Jose Flores – he was the eighth coach under Brandon Hyde. Now, under Buck Showalter, there were seven. There were seven coaches. Um, so, from what Dan Connolly said, it could just be a move where they go back to having seven coaches, and a guy like Freddie Gonzalez or Tim Cousins uh, could take over as infield instructor or and third base coach, and that would kind of negate a. You don't have to pay the extra eighth coach, and and. B, it doesn't necessitate having to have a guy like Flores uh, on your coaching staff because you kind of he was kind of added when maybe they didn't need to anyway. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's probably how they'll end up uh, budgeting this thing is is you know by subtracting one coach. Right now, and with the whole uh, Doug Procale thing, there were rumors that Chris Holt was going to get a big league uh, pitching coaching job somewhere. And it seemed like the Orioles. He he was he was in cho- running the the pitching down in um down at the alternate training site. Yep. Forty one years old. He's a young guy that they want to keep in their organization. Is it fair to say that probably this was probably always coming at some point anyway uh, with Chris Holt? Yeah, I think that's a fair look. I, I just made my pitch that it's a little disconcerting to lose two guys off your coaching staff because of budgetary reasons. But when you dig when you dig a little deeper. They probably will go from eight coaches to seven coaches, and they probably want to retain Freddie Gonzalez unless Freddie uh, surfaces as a serious candidate to manage somewhere else. But having said that, Chris Holder is somebody who Mike Elias is very much attached to at the hip. Uh, so I think it will most likely, unless they just want to bring in a younger, more analytically-based guy and keep Chris Holt and give him a substantial raise uh, and keep him in that job that he's doing, which he apparently is doing a tremendous job for the Orioles. Yes, Dan, I was just going to mention, actually, that Freddy Gonzalez has been linked to the Tigers for their managerial opening, so he could definitely uh, fall victim to to that and and become the new manager of the Tigers, and the Orioles could definitely lose him, um, something they probably don't want to happen, but you'd have to think that the Orioles do have a plan to replace these guys, and and they definitely know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, Mike Elias uh, does know what he's doing. This didn't just come about suddenly. You know, I, I listened to him on the last Saturday <clears throat> of the season. He did a, 
a 20-minute conference call Zoom with uh, all the media, and you could you could hear how strained it was, uh, how uncertain these finances are moving forward. You know, this is let's let's not kid ourselves. Um, the the uh, rebuild it's going to hurt the rebuild in some ways, but you may just see a Michael Bauman or Zach Lather up here before we would have if finances were a little bit different. Well, yeah, it, it, assuming finances would be a little bit different, you that's a possibility. Now, with Chris Holt, he was the first coach that was brought over here by um, Mike Elias when he came from the Houston Astros. And the thing about him is they basically created that, that minor league pitching coordinator position for him because they wanted him in the system. So it seems like they wouldn't have anybody. If he would have come up and be the pitching coach, they wouldn't have anybody to replace him, they, they, the, that I, I, I disagree with you. I think Michael Elias realizes that's a very important role. And let's not forget when you say that's something they Elias created. Uh, Dan Duquette hired. Uh, oh God, I can't. Peterson was it, Rick, that, Rick Peterson. Rick Peterson was in that same role. Uh, the only difference was is that uh, Rick Peterson had a major league manager. <laughs> That looked at Rick like he had four heads. Okay, <laughs> uh, all the all the analytically based stuff that Rick Peterson has built his career upon and managed in two World Series teams. By the way, um, uh, the Mets recently under Bobby Valentine, not so long ago, and I forget the other team. Um, but anyway, he's he's managed two World Series teams. Uh, I mean, he coached two World Series teams. Uh, Rick Peterson had a lot of the modern technology stuff and analytics uh, were part of his skill set that Buck, Buck Showalter didn't really believe in that firmly. Right. You know? Now, just just to be clear, th- these aren't necessarily my thoughts. This is what I'm quoting from the Dan Connolly article, that they made that position for Chris Holt, and that if he yeah. comes up to the Major League roster, they won't fill it, and that's another way that they save money by not having to pay... You're basically eliminating three... Uh, having to pay three positions by eliminating these two guys, is what right. is what Dan was getting at. Now, Stan, before we let you go, there was an article uh, written on MLB.com about the Orioles' alternate training site and how... And, and some of the guys that really stood out down there. And they, Of course, they mentioned that Adley Rutschman was the best player down there. Uh, They mentioned D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, Uh, but the one that stood out to me was they said that uh, Gunnar Henderson, who debuted in the Gulf Coast League at 18 years old, he's 19 now, they said that he struggled at the beginning because he's facing AA, AAA, 4A pitchers, but that he really came into his own and turned into one of the better players at the alternate training site and showed himself to be a five-tool player. What are your thoughts on that? Well, First of all, uh, John Mioli wrote a piece for the son of that Gunnar Henderson, but a week prior to that, we had a friend of mine, a uh, young guy who lives in Sarasota and covered the Orioles' uh, Gulf Coast League team there last year, and he became kind of friendly and uh, has been covering the Orioles' minor league system. We're hoping to work out a deal to bring him in. It's kind of like budgetary restraints keep us from hiring everybody we'd like. His name is Eric Garfield. Right. He, he did an interview and wrote a piece about uh, Gunnar Henderson a week before the sun, uh, and I can't help but believe 
look, no, we, we didn't invent uh, covering young players, but we, we beat it. We beat both of those people to a Gunnar Henderson piece. Gunnar Henderson is probably the second best prospect in this organization right now. And, uh, as Mioli's piece yesterday alluded to, the fact that he got to hit off of guys like Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and, and the more advanced guys like Kramer and Lever and Aiken, um, did, did wonders for his confidence. And probably, uh, as much as we like to point to the fact that the, the loss of a minor league season hurt certain players. There's no question this guy's development probably was advanced a little bit by by matching up against much higher level hitting. And I understand the same is true with Rutschman, who I understand had a phenomenal uh, second half of uh, uh, of the alternate uh, training site. Yeah, uh, I, I heard that Rutschman was absolutely on fire down at the alternate training yep. site, which is what you yep. want to hear, especially because they were your top two picks uh, in yep. 2019 in Rutschman and Henderson. Stan, we got to get a break. Thank you so much for joining the show. We will talk to you next week, all right? All right, thank you. Thank right. you, guys. See you, Zach. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good weekend. All right, that was Stan the Fan Charles with his weekly segment here on the Batter. And if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook uh, on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. This week, Stan and Gary caught up with respected sports business professor Marty Conway. And coming up on Monday night, you won't want to miss it as Stan and Ross chat with the Orioles Hall of Famer Doug DeSensei at 8 o'clock. They didn't do a show last week because of Yom Kippur, but they're coming back stronger than ever this coming Monday. Guys, we're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from uh, Pressbox's own Todd Karpovich. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate it, uh, Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to uh, be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank 
Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Lynn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Len and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We are hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. On the line now we have uh, from RavensCountry.com, SportsIllustrated.com, and PressBox's own beat writer, we have Todd Karpovich. Todd, how you doing today, man? Todd, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I hit unmute in the wrong button. My my sincerest apologies, man. How you doing totally today? Cool. Totally cool, doing well, thank you. Glad to have you join the show today. Now, the first thing I want to ask you about, Todd, is the Major League Baseball playoffs. And the format that they have right now, they have 16 teams in, um, eight teams from each division. The top two teams in each division get in, and then the two best records after that. And you basically saw some good series this uh, in the wild card series. But the 29-31 and 31 Astros beat the Central Division winning Minnesota Twins. And the 31-29 yeah. and 29 Florida Marlins beat the NL Central Division winning Chicago Cubs. Uh, both series were sweeps. Uh, is that what people are talking about when they're talking about this format watering down the regular season and watering down the playoffs? Well, you know, it was an unprecedented time. You know, they only got it where we get in 60 games. So, you know, some of, the, some of the thought process was some of the better teams, you know, talent-wise won't, you know, won't be able to get fully going over that short span. So sort of expand the playoffs and see what could happen, you know, see what see what rises to the top. You know, it's just a, I don't know, it's just such an uncertain time. It's been such a challenging time for all sports. And so, you know, I guess Major League Baseball, you know, they're trying to make the best of it. You know, I think the, uh, the playoffs have been entertaining, you know, at least. Uh, they've been fun to watch. It's been some good games. You know, the, the Padres advanced with Manny Machado, you know. So oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> sort of fun to watch, but yeah. Um, and the Marlins, you know, I thought they were a little underrated. You know, they 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 did, they did a number of work this season. Um, they have some talent, so you know, I guess we'll let it ride out, you know, and see what happens. But you know, I guess it's really just a matter of um, 
MLB trying to make the best of a difficult situation. Well, and, and certainly you mentioned the Marlins uh, and how they're a little bit underrated. Sixto Sanchez basically outdoled you uh, Darvish uh, in yesterday's elimination game, pitching with yeah. the savvy of a veteran. That's a team, them and the Cardinals, completely ravaged by, by COVID-19, and yet they both managed to make the playoffs. That's got to be good for baseball, right? Yeah, and it's a courage side for everyone, you know, to overcome these challenges, you know. Um, and, you know, again, there's the two teams that dealt with it the most, you know. We didn't even know if they were going to be able to finish the year, and here they are, you know, making the run at the World Series. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, you know, maybe the playoffs all watered down a little bit, but, you know, it's entertaining to watch. And, again, like I said, MLB's making the, make, making the best of the situation. I haven't seen the TV ratings yet, but there's, there's plenty of baseball to watch this week. So oh, yeah. People had options to watch a game. Oh, yeah, eight, eight games to watch on Wednesday alone, uh, yeah. all the way from 12 to about 8 or 9 o'clock, or 10 o'clock that night. So, it was uh, fun. I watched a bunch of them. I watched a lot of baseball. Wednesday is like my one day off during the week, and I watched a lot of baseball on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, they, they were fun games. They were. They were absolutely fun. Any And any game that the Padres play in is a, is a fun game. They're an exciting team. Yeah. I was glad to see them advance because I think they're too exciting to not continue on in the playoffs, and it's only going to be good for those TV ratings that you mentioned. Now, with the Major League Playoffs um, format right now, again, the 16 teams, I know that Rob Manfred is pushing for that to be the norm after this year. Do you think that would still be the top two uh, teams in each division and then the best two records after that? Or will it just be division winners and then the five best records? I think it should be the five best records after that because then you won't have a sub-500 team like the Astros potentially making the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I definitely agree. Especially when you look at the AL East, you know, and some divisions are a lot tougher than others. Um, so, yeah, you have to go with teams who are, who are the best records. Um, I think, you know, I think the players will be all for it because – you know, playoffs are bonus money. Um, I know the baseball traditionalists don't like it. Um, there aren't any complaining about it on social media since it began. But I think it's good for the game. I think it it's, um, gives a lot of small market teams hope, you know, to, to, to make a run. Because, you know, baseball, with no salary cap, it, it's, re- it's really a big, big uh, gulf between the haves and have-nots. Well, and I'm glad you said that it's good for the game because it is. There's no way it can't be. You're going to have, you know, six different fan bases six extra fan bases each year that have a rooting interest in september and october and more than that really because so many teams are going to be in contention down the stretch whereas there's probably a more than a third of the league that's already out of it by the time we hit the last month of the season that's exactly right you know it gives people um it gives a fan base hope you know it's nothing like watching baseball in september as these teams are trying to you know make it make a playoff run you know that kind of was as exciting as the playoffs. And we got more teams involved and competing. I think it's great for the game. It's great for the it's it's gonna generate more interest in the game and you know, and I think it's gonna uh, it's gonna help a lot of a lot of these small market teams. You know, now they're now they're saying, you know, hey, we can compete, we we can spend a little bit more money, we can try to, you know, bring in some players as opposed to constantly, constantly rebuilding. Hey, Todd, it's Zach Goodman. Uh, and you look at a rebuilding team, and it kind of seems like the end goal is to make the World Series, of course, but to make the playoffs is definitely a big milestone for any rebuilding team. The Blue Jays are one of them who uh, made the playoffs this year, as well as the Marlins. Do you think that having 16 teams in the playoffs and making it as, as one of those final teams for a rebuilding club like the Jays and the Marlins, is, is that less important than making it with a regular year with 10 teams? Yeah, I don't, you know, it's, the thing is, 
um, you know, even when you know when the Orioles were sort of, you know, in it, you know, before they got swept in New York four games, um, you know, it was it was fun for the players. They're playing for something, you know. And the thing is, even if you're rebuilding, you know, you're a professional sports franchise. Your ultimate goal is to win games. I mean, I don't care if you're rebuilding or not. You got you, you, the ultimate goal is to win. You know, that's what you're playing for. That's what you're getting paid to do. And you know, and the more you win, the more you're going to generate interest in your local fan base. So I think it's great, you know, it's a great experience for the Blue Jays, you know. And they're, they're a really good team. And they're going to be a – and that's what we say about the AL East, man. It's going to be a tough division for, for years to come. And Oral's got a lot of work to do if they're going to try to, you know, make some noise there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, even in the 60-game season, it, it's fun for the players. It's good experience for the young guys to, to, to be in that environment, you know. And I think you develop, you develop, I think, more, more quickly when, when, you're, when you're playing for – you know, a spot in the postseason. Yeah, it's it's definitely good to be in contention with a young team. It makes them feel like they belong. Makes them feel like they can compete at the major league level. You know, and well, you, you get more games. You uh, know, you make the playoffs. The guys get more games. They get more bats. They get more innings to pitch. Yeah, exactly. And against some of the more elite teams, because you're only facing the good for the most part. The best teams in the league are in the playoffs, and that, that's who your young guys are facing. Now, you, you moved on to the Orioles a little bit there, and with that in mind, uh, the Orioles' team ERA, Todd, improved by over a run from 2019 to 2020, and the bullpen ERA improved by nearly two runs from 579 to 390. What yeah. did you see from this team that made the difference? Well, you know, they had uh, they used 10 starters this year, so it wasn't like they had five guys um, you know, um, anchoring the rotation. Um, I think the guy, I think the guy, uh, the, the staff and Billy did a really good job uh, with these guys. And that when they came up, they were prepared and they pitched well. Um, you know, I think the, I think overall, I think the, um, you know, they were always talking about analytics and maybe, you know, that's starting to pay off, you know, as, as they increase that. Um, I think, I think they have a better foundation in place as far as developing players and coaches working with these guys, and you you saw the results I mean, fairly quickly. Um, now, I'm getting firing Doug Bocal. I don't know what impact that's going to have on, on the rotation. You know, uh, that was sort of a um, surprising move, to say the least, considering how they performed. But again, um, I, I really do think it's been the coaching um, and, and the development of these guys. And when they came up, they, they, they pitched well and they played well. Well, I, I agree. It seems like it would be the coaching, the analytics-driven methods that the Orioles seem to have gotten since the hiring of Elias and Sigma Dell and, and Brandon Hyde. And I'm glad that you brought up Doug Brokale because that was going to be my next question for you. Um, obviously, you're surprised by the move because you just said so. Um, now, look, it was reported that Mike Elias basically told Brokale and Jose Flores that it was budget cuts, and they didn't want to get rid of them, but they had to because of the pandemic and causing issues with the budget. But do yeah. you think that the Orioles also did this in part to ensure that they could keep the minor league pitching coordinator, Chris Holt? Because he seems to be next in line for that job, and there were rumors that he could be headhunted by a lot of organizations to become their new pitching coach. Yeah, and um, Holt, Holt's, yeah, the, Holt's a guy they're, they're, they're really big on. Um, and, you know, and I think he's, he's another guy that's done a lot of great work. Um, so, and yeah, the whole budget thing, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of odd. How much, you know, how much money was Brokell making? You know what I mean? That, you know, but again, like Elias, he's got his finger on the, on the pulse of his team. You know, he's got them moving in the right direction. So you, you sort of got, you sort of got to trust the process here because we're seeing, we're seeing some results. And again, like you said, Chris Holt, I think they're, I think they're, they're very, um, they're very high on him. They want to keep him within the organization. He probably would have, yes, 
gotten offers from other teams. Yeah, and, and he's young. He's 41 years old. That's somebody that you can keep in your organization for a long time unless he decides to move on for a management position. Uh, pitching coach is a high-profile uh, coaching position at the major league level. So, Chris Holt, if you want to keep him, maybe you have to promote him, kind of like what the Orioles did when they – not what the Orioles, what the Ravens did with Eric DaCosta. He could have had any kind of – any GM job out there, but he stayed with the Ravens because he knew that he was next in line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right, and uh, you know, and plus, you know, the organization, you know, that they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're building something here. There's something, there's something about the um, when you talk to all the Orioles, you know, from the front office to the coaches to the players, you know, even to the minor leaguer staff, you know, they're all, they're all, they're all sort of, they're all buying into this process. You know, they're all, um, they all want to be part of this, you know, this rebuild and what, where it's going to culminate. You know, Trey Mancini, you know, he just. Before he got ill, you know, he was fully on board with this plan. He wants to, he wants to be here. He wants to play here. That that seems to be a, a pretty, um, you know, a, a common thread in the organization. But you you couldn't always say that about the Orioles. You know, there, there's been years. You know, you know I've covered the team for you know, 10, 15 years, and there 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 have been years where there's been some serious disharmony. You know, yeah. not only in the clubhouse but in the front office. You know, they 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 butted heads over the years. So it seems like it's almost refreshing that everybody is on the same page here. Yeah, it definitely is refreshing, and you have you had a bunch of rookies come up this year, get their feet wet, and prove they belong. Guys like Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, uh, all these guys really showing that they belong at the major league level. And with that in mind, Todd, uh, what are your expectations going into this offseason? What moves do the Orioles need to make to ensure that they continue to take steps forward next year? Well, you know, I like their young core players. You know, it, it, for the first time in the uh, probably three years, they, they're going to have some really good competition for that for that five-man rotation. Oh, yeah. They're, 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 they're going to get bad. I'm sure they're going to bring in, um, you know, another veteran arm to compete for a spot. Um, you know, they have really good depth in the bullpen. They have, they, they, Michael Elias has done an outstanding job, you know, building depth throughout the organization. You know, you got guys, you know, um, you know Cody Sedbach, uh, Alex Wells, Kevin Smith. You know, uh, Isaac Madison, all these guys, you know, they're going to, they're all getting closer to being part of this major league club. Um, so, you know, I think this offseason, again, is going to be, you got to focus, keep focusing on development, you know, keep focusing on getting, you know, internally, getting your guys in, in the organization and ready to play. You know, they don't need to go out and make any unnecessary trades and get rid of, you know, some of these prospects, you know, for a big name guy. I think you stay with the young guys. You got a really good foundation here, and, and see what happens. You know, um, we're going into what? You know, we're another year of this rebuild, but they're you know they're getting close. You know, they got another good draft coming up. You know, they think there's another some good guys in the past draft. They got Abby Rushman, who's going to be knocking on the door soon. You know, um, so I think the goal here really is to keep developing these young guys and have this really exciting young team that's going to be ready to compete. You know, maybe three or two, three years. Yeah, Todd, but with knowing about how much depth the Orioles have, especially pitching-wise, we talked about that before, but how how is Baltimore looked at from a free agency standpoint of players as a place where a veteran might sign? Do you think that this is a place where veterans might want to sign or they would shy away because of the young talent? I think they would. Um, they was a place they would sign because, you know, if, if, if they, you know, you're gracious, you can come in here and put up big numbers, you know, um, if you if you can swing the bat and you're good defensively, you're gonna get an opportunity to play. You know, um, you know, while the, or the, or some of these young guys 
are, are still are still learning. Um, so I think yeah, I think Baltimore, you know, and again, people love the Orioles history. You know, there's such a rich, you know, even though there's been some struggles, you know, over the past couple of years, Orioles have a strong tradition. You know, they've been around for a long time. They have a good name, a good brand. Um, I, I think this is an organization. Uh, veterans would like to come in because they know they can make an impact, you know, and I think, but how, what, what type of veterans would Orioles bring in, you know, right now, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of stop gaps until, you know, because they're it's, it's really just holding, holding spots until some of the young guys are ready. And I think, I, and I think that's a wise way to go. Yeah, and you know, and this is the last question that we're going to ask you before we let you go. Uh, the the stopgap options, the Orioles, I think, need somebody either at second base or at third base going into next year. I've been underwhelmed with Rio Ruiz and with Hanser Alberto. Hanser Alberto was a nice story last year. This year, I just didn't think that he was as good as his numbers would suggest. There's a guy out there by the name of Scooter Jeanette. Uh, who had some big years in 2017 and 2018. He was injured last year, didn't play this year. Is that the type of player that the Orioles could look at to bring in and kind of solidify their lineup and also provide a stopgap until some of these younger prospects make it to the big league roster? Yeah, he's a, he's a perfect example of a guy that you know, they could bring in, that can swing the bat, you know, that can, can, uh, can you know, produce every day. And I agree with Alberto, you know, and Reese. You know, they had good years, but are they part of the long-term plan here? You know, I don't know. You know, I don't know, you know, what, um, you know, what, Role they're going to have, and you got Diaz. You know, where's when's he going to be ready? You know, right. Come up. Um, so yeah, you know, there's going to be if they're going to bring guys in. Believe me, they're going to be on short term deals, and it's going to be you know really just placeholders until some of these other guys are ready. And I, and I think again, like I said, I think that's that's the way to go forward. I think it is too. The Orioles have some promising young prospects and might not be quite major league ready yet. So stopgap would certainly be the way to go there. Todd, thank you so much for joining our program. Always great to talk to you, man. You have a great weekend. All right. You too. I appreciate it, guys. Thank Absolutely. You. Take it easy. All right. That was Press Box's own Todd Karpovich joining the program with us here today. And before we get another break, I just want to let you know that if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season. The next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post-game by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long, like that game against Kansas City. Not all the ref's fault, but they have some bad some bad calls. Tomorrow, Glenn and Rita are with you for the Baltimore Washington battle. That's Press Box's Project Game Day. Every game day this season brought to you by Wise Markets and the US Army. And with that in mind, do you need your fantasies fulfilled or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Pressbox's own Ken Zalis is number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis. Every Thursday at 11.30 a.m., brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Guys, we're going to go ahead and get a break here. When we come back, Zach and I are going to look around the playoffs, and then we're going to hand out some Orioles awards for the 2020 season. 
Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. Pressbox's Project Game Day. I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brent the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the battle round. Thanks again to Stan the Fan, Charles, and Todd Karpovich for joining the show. We have Craig Heist coming up here at 11.35 today. Uh, you know, PressBox is really, we're really on board with trying to get this pandemic under control and, you know, trying to make sure everybody stays healthy. Wash your hands, folks. But also, 
since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. And with that in mind, Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland Flat Pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach is modeling for us right now, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. Folks, these are decorative masks. They're going to make people comfortable, but they are not CDC approved. However, they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful for those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours. Now, we're going to move on here to the payoff pitch around the league. And playoff series all ended yesterday. There were two left to get under control yesterday. Um, Marlins beat the Cubs 2 to nothing to sweep the wild card series. Garrett Cooper homered in the seventh. Sixto Sanchez pitched with the savvy of a veteran, and he outdueled Hugh Tarvish in that Marlins 2 to nothing win, sweeping the Cubs in their wild card series two games to none. Jake Cronenworth had three hits, including a solo home run, and the Padres used nine pitchers, none throwing more than an inning and two-thirds to shut out the Cardinals 4 to nothing and win the series 2-1. to one. In the rest of the wild card round, the Rays swept the Blue Jays. The Athletics took their series with the White Sox, two games to one. The Yankees swept Cleveland, and the Astros swept the Twins in the American League, while the Dodgers swept the, the Brewers, and the Braves swept the Reds in the National League. And now, Zach Goodman is going to tell us about what's on tap in the, for the American League and National League Division Series next week. Yep, no Saturday, no Saturday uh, games today, so we're going to move on to Monday, 10-5. At 4 o'clock, we have the Astros who are able to knock off the Twins. They'll battle the A's who knocked out the White Sox. And then later that night at 8 o'clock, we'll have an ALE series with the uh, the Yankees and the Rays. The Yankees scoring a lot of runs. They're hot hitting, and the uh, they... they uh, knocked out the Indians and the Rays knocked out the Jays. And then moving on to 10-6, uh, still times to, de- to be determined on that day, but we have the unfazed Marlins. They, they surprised a lot of people, and they bounced the Cubs. They will take on the Braves, and then the Dodgers later that day will take on the Padres. That is a series I'm very excited for, but only uh, you know two divisional series, so it's, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that Dodgers-Padres series also. I think that's going to be arguably the best series of the year, potentially, in, in Major League Baseball. I also find it interesting that all of the division series matchups in both leagues are actually division matchups. You have the Yankees and Rays, you have the A's and Astros, you have the Dodgers and, um, and Padres, and you have the Braves and Marlins all of these matchups are between divisions, uh, first and second place teams. So that's that's pretty cool to see. Um, we're going to move on here to Orioles awards this year, according to Paul Valley and Zach Goodman. Now we know that Anthony Santander was voted the Orioles' most valuable Oriole this year, despite not playing in the team's final 23 games. For me, the Oriole, the most valuable Oriole, I think it has to be Jose Iglesias. He never slumped. He batted 373. He would have won the batting title if he had probably a, if he hadn't gotten hurt. He would have, he would have probably won the batting title because again he never slumped. When he started at shortstop, the Orioles were a 500 ball club. He were 11 and 11 in games he started at shortstop and 12 and 12 in games that he appeared at shortstop, which means they were 10 games under 500 when he didn't set foot in the infield. 
Um, the clear when he wasn't in the field, the defense clearly suffered. And when he wasn't in the lineup, there was an obvious hole in the lineup. Seemed to always come through with base hits and proved to be a top commodity for the ball club. Zach, who do you have for your most valuable player? I'm right there with you. Jose Iglesias is the most valuable player, and, and I'm surprised he didn't win it. You know, Santander kind of emerged as a as a superstar, I guess, in, in, in as far as Orioles go. So he was named the the most valuable Oriole, but. Yeah, Jose Iglesias was just consistent, and I really do think he was the big difference for the Orioles this year. I think he's the reason they were as good as they were, you know, five games off of 500, as we discussed before. I think Jose Iglesias is a good part of that. You know, he plays great defense. He hits the ball a lot better than people expected. He credits Joey Votto for kind of changing his swing a little bit and making him a better hitter, and that's awesome. You know, he hit pretty well with the Reds. They made a really cheap signing. And it really paid off for the Orioles. And, you know, Jonathan Villar was a guy that we all really were worried about losing last year. We traded him to the Marlins, of course, for Easton Lucas. Uh, But, you know, Iglesias has stepped right in and been really good. You know, Richie Martin went down earlier in the year with a wrist injury. He stepped right in and, and, you know, as expected, played really well. He is my Orioles MVP. Yeah, and he showed an innate ability to get the barrel of the bat to the baseball Absolutely. this year. It was yeah. it was fantastic to watch. I didn't know he could hit like that, and I, I I also didn't know that he credited Joey Votto with changing his swing. And Joey Votto, up until recently, has been one of Major League Baseball's best hitters. Um, so that's definitely something that's exciting to see. I'm a little surprised that you took Iglesias also. I didn't see that coming, but I'm glad we were on the same page there. Zach, I'm going to let you go ahead and do your Cy Young winner for the Orioles this year. Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're both going to be pretty similar here, but I'm going to go with Alex Cobb. Mm-hmm. You know, he pitched more o- innings than any other Oriole. He was consistent. He came out there and gave them a lot of five and six outing uh, games, which which is exactly what I think the Orioles are looking for. They haven't had a ton of consistency from any of their starters in the past few years. So for Alex Cobb to give them some really consistent starts and give them a chance to win overall, just a, a lot of games where he would give up one or two runs, which is really, really solid. He brought his ERA a lot down. He was finally healthy. Just consistency is the big thing here, in my opinion, at least for for a starting pitcher in the midst of a rebuild. So Alex Cobb wins my award. He wasn't spectacular, but he was consistent and did the job. Yeah, and you you could make a case for a number of players. John Means for his last four starts and just you know being that de facto ace as it is. Dean Kramer for what he did in his first three starts. Uh, Tanner Scott, who was just money all year long, but the choice is Alex Cobb. Like you said, he wasn't overpowering, but he kept the Orioles in most of in, in the, the ball games that he started for the most part. He allowed three runs or less in seven of his ten starts. His last two outings, he went over 13 innings, gave up three runs in those in those two starts combined. The book ended his wins, uh, win to open the year against the Red Sox, a win to close the year against the Red Sox. Uh, Alex Cobb, to me, proved that maybe he's not the. 14 to 17 million dollar pitcher that the Orioles signed um but he's a guy who has a place in his rotation next year and has you at least excited that the Orioles can play can be even more competitive because that rotation is going to be solid so Cy Young award goes to from both of us Alex Cobb here for the Orioles this year uh reliever of the year is clearly Tanner Scott in, in my opinion, maybe you're, you dif- you differ in opinion, but for me, it's clearly Tanner Scott. Walks were down, hits were way down. His ERA imp- improved by nearly three and a half this year, from four seven eight down to one three one. Um, he, he became one of the most dominant lefties and most dominant overall bullpen arms in all of baseball this year. This was something that I saw 
Uh, I'm not tooting my own horn here. You see the stuff and the velocity that Tanner Scott has, and you say if he can get that control, get his his um, control together, he's going to be a dominant arm. And this year he did that, and he became a dominant arm for me, Orioles reliever of the year. Who you got? Yeah, I mean Tanner Scott is is probably the easy choice, but I'm going to move on to Paul Fry. I'm going to go with Paul Fry. Okay, and it's not because that he was better than Tanner Scott. But the reason I say this is because, like you said, Tanner Scott was kind of predictable. We, we knew he had the, the talent. He was a former, at, at one point, fourth best prospect in the Orioles system. So we, we knew he had the, the ability to do this. Paul Fry improved like at a ridiculous amount. Paul Fry became one of the better bullpen arms when in a lot of situations in, in 18 and 19, you definitely couldn't trust him. He made a huge leap, even more of a leap than I would say Tanner Scott made. So I'm going to go with Paul Fry, just a consistent lefty out of the bullpen, 2.45 ERA. Can't argue with that. I, I'm going to give it to Paul Fry. And nice reverse splits. He had an ability to get out righties as well. Yep. So it was, it was he, Paul Fry, a lot of guys, Paul Fry, um, Dylan Tate, um, Sean Armstrong, uh, and Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez, they all were definitely very, very improved this year and all deserving. You think it's Paul Fry, I think it's Tanner Scott. Either way, I don't think it's a bad choice. Rookie of the year, go ahead. Well, it, it has to be Ryan Malcastle. And yeah. Ryan Malcastle pretty much blew everyone away. There were a lot of scouts who said, okay, he's going to hit, but it might take him a little bit. You know, there were some comparisons to Mike Moustakis floating around, and, you know, it may, it may take him a little bit to get going, and it took him no time to get going. I believe he went 0 for 4 and had a walk on his first night, but then a couple nights later just started tearing it up, and he became, you know, the, the best player in the Orioles lineup. He was hitting for power. He was getting on base. He walked 11 times. He only walked... I believe it was 14 times the entire 2019 mm-hmm. minor league season. So he really took a lot of steps as far as plate discipline goes. And also in the outfield, he was, he, I believe he had a 78th percentile sprint speed. So he was, he was really moving. It was around 20 feet per second, which is insanely good uh, for a guy, his size, he was playing a solid outfield. I believe he had a 1000 fielding percentage. He didn't make any mistakes out there. And he just hit the ball. I mean, he just hit the ball. It's You can put him at three or four every single night, and you know that he's going to rack one or two hits up. And he was just consistent, hit 333. Uh, you know, it's There's nothing more I think you can want from a guy like Ryan Mountcastle. Absolutely. And look, again, this is another category where a number of guys fit the bill. Uh, Austin Hayes absolutely mashed when he came back. And a lot of people forget that Austin Hayes was a rookie. Still is yeah, a rookie. Yep. Um, Dean Kramer, impressive in his first three starts. Ake improved he could be more than a bullpen piece with several impressive starts. DJ Stewart even turned around the slow start, hit seven home runs in an eight-game span. But it's Ryan Mountcastle, 333 batting average. He had an 878 OPS. League average is 740. He had an 878 OPS. Showed much better play discipline, like you said, the, uh, than we were told to expect. Looked like he belonged out in left field. So it's definitely Ryan Mountcastle. Something interesting of note here. Neither Mountcastle nor Hayes acquired enough at-bats to lose their rookie status. So going into 2021, Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, and Dean Kramer, and Keegan Aiken are all still technically rookies. You could have three guys, I think, in Hayes, Mountcastle, and Kramer pushing for that Rookie of the Year award in 2021 if they continue to progress the way they have so far. Uh, Comeback Player of the Year, it's got to be Cedric Mullins. 
There's nobody else. Um, a lot of bullpen arms improved. We talked about that a lot today. Uh, but Mullins was demoted not once in 2019, but twice. From the majors to AAA, from AAA to AA. Worked with an Orioles-appointed batting specialist, uh, or hitting specialist in the offseason. Became an elite bunter who learned to use his speed to his advantage and became an everyday player this season, albeit because of an injury to Austin Hayes. But when Austin Hayes came back, it didn't knock Mullins out of the lineup. He proved that he can play. For me, he turned into, look, I don't think that he's more than a fourth outfielder for, for his career. But he is a really solid, he's not Gerard Dyson. You know, he's a solid, solid fourth outfielder. Certainly comeback player of the year. Hit 271 this year, which nobody saw coming based on last year. Yeah, he, he definitely is deserving, but he is not my comeback player. Of the oh, year. wow, okay. I'm going to go with Alex Cobb. He only pitched in three games in 2019. So he came back and he pitched, you know, 60 innings for the Orioles, and, and he really, you know, put up a solid season. We just talked about him before. But since he didn't pitch in 2019 and when he did in those three games, he got absolutely destroyed. He came back from a really tough injury to come back from. Alex Cobb, came, he came back. You know, Cedric Mullins, of course, is very deserving, but Alex Cobb is going to be my guy for coming back player of the year i didn't see that coming you could also make an argument for cesar valdez hadn't pitched oh in the yeah, majors. yeah for, absolutely it hadn't pitched in the majors since 2017 and when he did he had an era above seven and a half pitched to a to a um and actually i'm sorry tanner scott's era this year was 106 it was cesar valdez who had the 131 era after that seven and a half era in 2017 so that could have been a good choice too i had mullins you had alex cobb alex cobb alex cobb didn't even register to me, it, it, but he should have. It's a great choice, I think, for comeback player of the year. And we're gonna do this one quickly because we gotta get a live read and we gotta get Craig on the line here. But defensive player of the year for me, it was Cedric Mullins. He covered so much ground. He turned the first inning, op- the first ever inning opening double play in Major League history. Um, his arm leaves a lot to be desired, but he made tough plays seem routine and seemed to make a highlight real play every week. Uh, the Orioles outfield defensively at least, in my opinion, is in pretty good hands next year, if you ask me. Who do you have for Defensive Player of the Year? Yeah, I was looking at some uh, defensive run save numbers, which is obviously how many many runs your team gets saved by a certain defender, and Anthony Santander was right at the top of that list. He improved his fielding by twofold in the offseason. He became way better. Anthony Santander is going to be my Defensive Player of the Year, and just because of that stat, DRS is a very important stat. It's an analytic that many, many teams use to, to evaluate evaluate a fielder and he was right at the top of that Cedric Mullins I believe was was up there as well he was really close so and I, I'm sure if Austin Hayes had played more he would have been right in that same conversation but Anthony Santander I feel is deserving Cedric Mullins absolutely deserving I, you can't go wrong there well and Santander is a very unassuming right fielder as far as his defense because he just doesn't look like he played really good defense but he gets good reads on balls he fields balls off the wall very well yep. his, his arm is it's not great but it's solid enough. And even that, that, I mean, it was a boneheaded throw on that relay that got the runner at the plate in that, in that one win up in Buffalo um, in the middle of the year. But it, was still, it still turned out, it turned into a great play. Santander, again, very unassuming, but a solid choice because his defensive metrics are up towards the top of that list. Zach, what do you got for us while I got Craig on the line? 
The latest edition of Pressbox is available now on the cover. Bo Smoka profiles potential breakout Raven star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordine helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens and Terps at pressboxonline.com. And uh, and this is the new edition of Pressbox right here. Hollywood Brown, Lamar Jackson, great issue, definitely give it a read, pick it up for free. All right, lovely job there, Zach. I certainly appreciate it. On the line now, we have Craig Heist. Craig, how are you today? Hey, Paul, what's going on, man? Not too much. Been been a been a few weeks since we last talked. How you how you been doing? Hanging in. Hanging in. It sounds good. Sounds good. Now, the um, before we get to a little bit of Nationals talk here, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the the Major League playoffs. And a lot of people feel like they're watered down a bit because of the sixteen teams being in. The Marlins um, at with thirty one wins got got a series win. The Astros under 500 got a series win. How do you feel about how the, the playoffs are shaking out so far this year? Well, it's the nature of the beast for 2020, number one. Number two, I'm not a, you know, and they bring up this, you know, the question all the time, well, do you like this format? Would you like to see this format continue? And I would not be opposed to seeing a two out of three wild card situation but I don't think we need the amount of teams we have, and I certainly don't think that, you know, having a team finish with a below 500 record is good for the game because it certainly tarnishes my opinion of what 162 games means during the course of the year. So from that standpoint, do I like it? I can live with it for this year. I don't want to see it on a permanent basis. It seems like Rob Manfred is pushing for it to be on on a permanent basis. Well, um, Rob, Rob Manfred pushes for a lot of things that don't make sense. Agreed. So. Agreed. Yeah, he he hasn't been the greatest thing to happen to baseball. Uh, that's for sure. Um, no. I I look at you know if if you're gonna have six extra teams each year that that have a, that are gonna make the playoffs. I'm okay with that because I think it gives more fans a rooting interest longer into the season. I think it's better for the TV ratings also. But I don't think it should be the top two teams in each division. I think it should be the division winners and then the five best records in each league after that. Because then the the, the Astros, look, the Astros, when healthy, are a good baseball team. But should they be in the playoffs at 29 and 31 Absolutely not. You should not have a. Well, that's what I mean. You know, I you know it doesn't make any sense for me having teams in the playoffs that are below five hundred for the season. Now, granted, this was a sixty-game year. You know, for circumstances beyond everybody's control. But you know, that said, some baseball is better than no baseball. Right and. You know, from uh, I will say this: watching the first round of games was kind of like watching, and I've and I've heard this compared to it, and I think they're right to a certain degree. Was like watching the first day of the, you know, the first day of the NCAA tournament on that Thursday and Friday during the first round. 
where you have it wall to wall from 12 noon till midnight and mm. you're flipping your channels back and forth so from that standpoint I didn't have a problem with it but no for me if you're if you want to make the wild card a best two out of three, I have no problem with that. I, I like that uh, personally. Huh? I say I like that personally. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, and and but but to to have the amount of teams that are in it this year, you know, on a permanent basis going forward, I'm not a fan of that. Well, certainly, certainly not. And let, let's move on to the Nationals here a little bit, and and. Considering extra teams were able to get into the playoffs and there was a sub-500 team in the playoffs, it really speaks to kind of how bad the national season was this year. They finished 26-34, and 34, which was tied for last in the NL East, and they needed to win their last three games against the Mets just to get to that position. Obviously, not the results they were hoping for coming off a World Series run in 2019. They lost Strasburg for the year early on. Zimmerman opted out. Even with Zimmerman potentially coming back next season, this team needs a first baseman next year, I would imagine. What do the Nationals need to do to get themselves back to that playoff contender that they were the year before? Well, I think there's a lot of things that have to be decided in the offseason. Number one, you want to get that starting pitching rotation back into form, and certainly you, you didn't have the kind of year from Annabelle Sanchez that you would have expected. Uh, but keep in mind, you know, last year, when they started 19 and 31 before they went on that run, uh, the rest of the way to get themselves into the playoffs. I mean, think, everybody forgets that Annabelle started the year 0 and 6 last year. Yeah, and uh, that then he then he turned it on. It was it was fabulous for them the the rest of the way. Uh, you know, Patrick Corbin, I thought early on was their most consistent pitcher, and then he had a wall, a little bit of a wall. Uh, they didn't pitch that that well from the starting standpoint uh i mean max scherzer won his last start to finish five and four but you know and good for max because he winds up being uh above 500 for the 11th straight year uh in in his career so from that standpoint uh you you feel good for him but uh you know not having strasburg was a big deal uh, not having not having Zimmerman was a big deal in, in more ways than you can imagine, not just on the field if he were to stay healthy for the whole 60 games, but off the field and, and, and in the clubhouse, too. Uh, I, I think the Nationals truly missed him in the clubhouse more than anything else. Uh, you know, you, you, you wind up... Uh, you wind up losing Castro. You wind up, you know, the uncertainty at third base with Keyboom there. Uh, you, you know, Adam Eaton winds up getting hurt toward the end, uh, which probably, in a lot of ways, probably spells the end of his time in Washington. Because if you remember, if if you were paying attention, the last few games of the year, the last two weeks, they wind up moving Juan Soto over to right field. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's probably the direction they go, and then they try to, you know, either find another outfielder. Uh, you know, wh- what do they do with Michael A. Taylor? Andrew Stevenson got a good shot or a good look uh, the last couple of weeks of the season. Performed very well, but can he do that on a consistent basis? 
a, a lot of a lot of stuff going on with Mike Rizzo uh, and Davey Martinez. Now, the good thing about that is the fact that once that Davey was signed to the contract extension, the one thing he said was the, the biggest thing we need to do is get uh, is to get Dave Martinez signed uh, to to an extension, and they were able to do that three year extension. So, I mean, the stability is in place, and that stability yeah. at the top of the ledger that they didn't have necessarily have before. I mean, keep in mind, even even though they were winning team and even though they were going to the playoffs on a consistent basis, you know, there was two years of Dave Johnson, there was, uh, you know, two years of uh, of Matt Williams, and there was two years of, of Dusty Baker. And, you know, and, and how about Dusty Baker with that for that matter? Uh, you, you look at him, and he takes the Astros into the into the postseason, and he becomes the only guy to take five different teams to the postseason. <laughs> yeah, Dusty <laughs> so, Baker, damn good I mean, manager. As a, as a guy, as a guy who covered Dusty for a couple of years and got to know him pretty well, uh, I feel pretty good about that. Hey, Craig, it's Zach Goodman. Um, I wanted to talk about how the Nats were in a, in a top-five position for the 2021 draft basically throughout the entire season and then won a bunch of games at the end of the year and now are in the 11th spot for the 2021 draft. How do you feel that uh, the team feels about that, number one, and then also how the fan base kind of feels about getting that 11th pick even though they didn't make the playoffs and didn't have a good season? No, I just think that anybody that roots for your team to lose to get a higher draft pick, number one, isn't a true baseball fan. Number two, doesn't understand what players go through. Uh, I think Mike Rizzo will be fine with where he is in the in the in the in the draft position. And keep in mind that they've they've had pretty good drafts uh, under Mike. And yes, a lot of that came when they were bad team and they were able to get guys like Strasburg and Rendon and, and, uh, and Harper way back when, but I mean, it's, it's not been that way, you know, since, since 2012. So, uh, I, I really think that they'll go out and, you know, he's got a pretty good staff behind him and, uh, I, I think they'll go out and they'll, they'll pick the best player who they think can help this team and can be in the organization work his way up and, and get a shot. Now, is there going to be Juan Soto's out there or or Victor Robles is out there? Who knows? But, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, you're looking at fortifying starting pitching. I think that's going to probably come uh, through some kind of a trade or some free agency. And uh, you got, you got some power arms in that bullpen. Uh, who performed very well. You, you, you saw what Tanner Rainey was able to do before he got hurt. You, you saw Wander Suero, I think, take another step up. Uh, you know, Daniel Hudson, is he, you know, he going to remain the closer? We'll have to wait and see. Sean Doolittle probably has pitched his last game in Washington. Uh, that's, that's my guess. But, uh, again, a lot of things are going to unfold during this offseason, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and you look at this Nationals team, you look at, if you go to MLB.com or use the app and you look at their offensive stats, literally at the top of every single offensive category is either Trey Turner or Juan Soto. They have a good, they have two good young players that are going to hit in the middle of that lineup. I do think they need a supplemental piece either at second base, first base, or third base, but I think the rotation, you hit the nail on the head. They need help in that rotation. Eric Fetty. 
Led that team in ERA at 429. You said Corbin hit a wall, 466. Scherzer, 374, which has to be one of the highest ERAs of his career. And then Well, Bob, but there's, there, is, there, there is a little bit of a different story, though, when you're talking about Patrick Corbin. He's going to be around for a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, having, having signed that six-year deal. But now, the other part of that, you can live with Patrick Corbin's ERA being in the high threes or around four if, if he's giving you the length, you know, and if he's giving you the, the, the six innings or, or pitching into the seventh. And with your offense, knowing you're going to get some runs, and I think if you look at that team with their uh, uh, record, if they score three runs or more, it's, it's not that bad, you know. So, so the whole idea for these starters is to get deep in the ball games and and give them a lead and let your bullpen kind of you know hold it and shut it down. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind going forward that you know Scherzer comes back and uh, and and puts together a Max type year. The one thing Max has got to figure out in the off season is what's going on with the pitch counts and being high by the fifth inning, sixth inning, and you know, because you, you know, uh, when when Max is right, he's usually giving you eight innings, that kind of thing. But with right. the high strikeout totals, sometimes comes the high pitch counts, and that's that's the off. You know, that's the trade off with the high strikeout total is you're running your pitch count a lot of time up around 100 by the fifth inning. So that 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 has to change, and obviously Max isn't getting any younger, uh, but he's still a very very effective pitcher. Oh, absolutely. So you, 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 you get him straightened out, and I, and I know he was talking about what he wanted to do in the offseason to try to figure that out, and, and that part of the dilemma out for him. But then, uh, you know, you're hoping that Strasburg comes back and he's healthy and he's got the wrist situation behind him uh, after the surgery for the carpal tunnel, and uh, we'll see whether he's ready to go when spring training rolls around. All indication is that he is. And if he turns into the Strasburg that uh, everybody thinks he can be and knows he is. So, with Max Scherzer, do you think, because the, I, I noticed his walks were up a little bit this year. He had a ton of five, six, six inning games where he had 10 to 13 strikeouts, which is just absurd. Um, and that, that, like you said, that's going to get the pitch count up. Do you think he looks at the rest of the rotation struggling, sees Strasburg goes out for the year, and says, I have to put this team on my back, and I, I have to go out there and dominate, and maybe he, there's a case of overthrowing a little bit on his end? Well, I don't know whether that's the case, but I do know this. I, you know, when when Strauss was having his, you know, throughout his career was having his injury problems, one of the things people questioned was his durability and his toughness and stability and I mean that became a little bit of a knock toward him and you know last year during the uh, during the World Series year he was able to make all his starts he stayed healthy and you know he took the ball and I think he got a better understanding of what it takes to be a true number one and a true ace and uh, you could obviously certainly argue that situation that he or argue that uh, that that part of the game that he was that ace, uh, even more so than Max Scherzer was, uh, especially uh, you know after Scherzer got hurt somewhere around the, the middle of July, the beginning of August, before he got into the play, you know, before he worked himself back into shape to pitch the rest of the season and into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And really, you could argue that he really wasn't totally himself uh, in, in, in the playoffs like we're used to seeing, but uh, I mean, it was good enough. I mean, it was good enough to go out and 
and, and battle through five innings in, in that last World Series game that he pitched. And, you know, but, but in, in the postseason, you have the ability with that team and with that staff to be able to finagle your way around keeping away from certain guys in the bullpen. And we recall how much of a problem that bullpen was for the Nationals last year. Uh, with, with certain guys and and blowing leads and not being able to hold them, uh, you know, you, you you could pitch Max Scherzer and start him in a game in the postseason, and then you know, with days off and things of that nature that you have during the regular postseason, you you, you could bring Strasburg out of the bullpen. You could bring Corbin out of the bullpen. You know, uh, but you know that that's all going to change next year. I mean, they've got to get. They've got to figure out, I think, the four and five spots in this rotation. Is it going to be Eric Fetty, Austin Voth, or somebody else? Uh, I'm not so sure that either one of those guys are up to uh, up to the task. Now, I will say this. Fetty was very good his last, uh, his last three starts. So, from that standpoint, maybe they look forward and say, well, we'll give him the, the, the biggest opportunity to earn a spot in the rotation and keep the job. Uh, if, if I'm Mike Rizzo, you know that pitching is everything, and starting pitching in particular. So that's what they're going to have to look at. Yeah, I, I think that right now, like you said, the rotation is the biggest question mark for this team. Now, you mentioned uh, Dave Martinez's extension, and when he got that extension, he said he expects this team to be back in contention and back in the playoffs next year. Is there a window for this team, and it's weird to say that with a, with a team that has Trey Turner and Juan Soto, but is there a window for this team and is it closing, or has it closed? Well, I think I, I don't think it's closing, but they've certainly got a couple of years where they can still, you know, with 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 their pitching and with what's on that team. Uh, I, I think they have a an opportunity to be competitive, certainly for the next two years. Uh, but but again, you're looking at uh, the, the finances of the game. What if any hit? this COVID-19 has done with not just the Nationals, but a lot of organizations. I mean, let's face it, the Orioles are not bringing back uh, Doug Brokale and, uh, you know, the, the, the other guy that was let go on the staff uh, be, because of, you know, essentially finances. And that's, you know, it's, we, saw, we saw a little bit of a, uh, an improvement in the Orioles pitching this year, I thought, especially from an ERA standpoint. Uh, but that's not just going to be the Orioles or the Nationals. It's going to be everybody throughout baseball, and you know what what the uh, what the fiscal dynamics are, and uh, you know for teams going forward coming off of this year, and it's it's going to be a tough deal. But you know you got some guys with the Nationals who, you know, once you get going here a few more years with Turner with Soto in terms of either wrapping them up to long term deals or. Uh, you know, do remember what happened with Bryce Harper? So, I mean, do, do, do you want that to happen? Well, I'm I'm of the I'm of the opinion that with Juan Soto, you do whatever you can to keep this kid in 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 the fold because you don't want to lose him. I mean, this kid's got everybody talks about whatever Bryce Harper was and is now. I mean, I think Juan Soto is better than Bryce Harper in my oh, opinion. He is. He is 21 years old, and he's arguably the best hitter in the game right now. 
Yeah, we, we talked about the rotation questions, obviously the four and five, but third base I think is still a question for the Nats. You know, Carter Keyboom came up and probably didn't exceed anyone's expectations at all. What do you think the team kind of feels about Carter Keyboom now after a year and that he only hit 202 in? Well, again, is are you happy with the 60-game sample size? I mean, this is a, you know, you're, you're being a little bit unfair to Carter, I think. I think everybody thinks he can hit. Without question, you know, the problem is, is he going to be able to field the position uh, like he's supposed to? Uh, I think that I think that they like his bat, but can he be the everyday all-around third baseman and, and everyday consistent player that they need him to be? Well, that jury is still out, you know, on that question. So do they give him more time? I would think they do. I mean, I, I I think that they really do like his offensive potential, and he's shown signs of that. Uh, but again, it was such a strange year. I'm not so sure how much you can take out of what you saw this year. Uh, you know, into in, into next year, and say, well, that's going to be the norm. You know, I, I I just you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, you know, Victor Robles in center field, when you look at him, uh, here, here's a guy that came into camp. He was heavier this year than he was last year. Well, they've already talked to him about that in terms of not that he's not a great athlete and not that he's not, uh, you, you know, capable out there. And, and defensively, I, I think we we saw last year that he's certainly very good in learning and getting better defensively all the time. Uh, which, you know, but they, they certainly, from a flexibility standpoint, uh, from a movement standpoint, probably not as good as it was last year. So they want him to, they, they don't have a problem with him carrying the extra weight as long as it's done in a way that it doesn't affect him on the field in terms of, of speed. And I don't really think it did, but in terms of flexibility and things of that nature, because there were some, Sometimes where he, he went back on balls and probably wasn't in the best position to throw. And we saw last year during the World Series run what kind of an arm that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I, I know they want him to lose some weight in the offseason. Uh, what kind of shape he comes back in, we'll just, again, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, yeah, and the Orioles dealt with something similar with Austin Hayes after his big 2017 season. He went and changed his workout yeah. regimen, balked up, and then he ended up getting hurt, went back to his old routine, and he's been, he hasn't been a picture of health, but he's back to playing the type of baseball that we know Austin Hayes can play. The Victor Robles, he needs to do the same thing. He's a big part of this Nationals future, and if they want to continue to contend, they, they're going to need him at the, heart of, at the heart of it along with Soto and Turner. Well, and that's the thing, you know, plus the fact that I think they'd like to see him offensively get to a point where he's taking more pitches, staying in the middle of the field, and maybe he gets himself out of that nine hole or that, you know, down, hitting way down in the order. Uh, but we, we, we talked so much during the course of the year, well, with Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top of that lineup, you know, they set the table for everybody else, well, doesn't look like Adam Eaton's going to be there next year. Yeah. And, and and then, you know, the last part of this season, they move Juan Soto up to number two in, in, in some instances. Is that the way to go uh, with Trey Turner at the top of the lineup? To me, I'd like to see Juan Soto stay in that third hole. You know, if you can 
and again, a struggle Cabrera. What what happens with him now? I mean, he's been he's been pretty steady. I mean, he went into a little bit of a slump where his average dropped this year, but I mean, still a professional hitter, still very productive, uh, and can play all over the field. So he's a guy that when you're looking at re-signing guys and things of that nature in the offseason, maybe maybe it's him that's your best cost-effective guy to keep in terms of what he means to this infield overall. He plays first, he can play second, uh, if need be, uh, and he can play third. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, and it certainly would bode well for baseball in the Delmarva area if the Nationals can make these improvements to their roster and get themselves back into contention. When the Nationals and the Orioles are playing at the top of their game, it's just good for baseball as a whole. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for joining the show. we got to get a break, but I certainly appreciate you giving us some time here this Saturday morning. All right. Take care. All right. You do the same. Take care. And that was Craig Heiss joining us. He used to co-host the Bat Around with Stan Charles. Um, so I love having Craig on. He knows a lot about a lot, so he's always good to talk to. Uh, speaking of people who know a lot about a lot, every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might show up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens offensive lineman Bradley Bozeman, Steve Levy from ESPN, former Raven Cadre Esmail, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. we got to get our final break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to do our uh, playoff edition of Take to Rake and close out the show. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit ceiwc.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the final segment here on the Bat Around on this Saturday, October 3rd. A nice, cool morning here in Baltimore. We're actually getting to the afternoon now. So uh, we're back here on the Bat Around. And once again, I'm Paul Valley, and this is Zach Goodman, my co-host today and every Saturday on the show. Uh, and now we have Take to Rake to close the show. And for the we did a we did a playoff version and a shortened Orioles version last year because the Orioles only had two games last week because the Orioles only had two games left. I took uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Zach, you took Jose Iglesias. Ken Wyman took Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes won. He went four for eight in those last two games. Mountcastle three for nine. Iglesias went two for four. He only played on Saturday. I was actually surprised to see him get the day off in the last game of the season. You would have thought that he would have really pushed again in that lineup the last game of the year. But whatever. Ken wins for the Orioles for uh, take to rake. That is our fourth guest win. They win the, the Orioles season series of take to rake. Um, then we go to the playoffs. I took Manny Machado. You took Jose Ramirez. No, I'm sorry. I took I took jo- uh, Justin, Justin, Turner. Justin Turner. Oh my God! Now you, he he told me I didn't see him that tired during the show. I didn't get much sleep last night. Um, I never do on Fridays. 
but you can tell I'm tired right now. I took Justin Turner, you took Jose Ramirez, and Ken Wyman took Manny Machado. Machado hit 143. Ken didn't win. Uh, Justin Turner did not register a hit in those two games for the Dodgers. I didn't win. Jose Ramirez in two games, two losing games, hit 429 and drove in four. So, Zach, you pick up a win in the playoff edition of Take the Rake. So, for the playoffs, you are 1-0. and You are standing alone atop the playoff Take the Rake mountain. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel good. I think I get to pick first today, right? I mean, that, that's yeah, that's 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 the rules. You get to pick first. I got to go with Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. No other guy you can pick right now. He's the best. I know, I know. I knew you were going to take him, and it's an easy pick because he's the best. He's the most exciting, and honestly, like you said, who else are you going to take? So with you taking Fernando Tatis, oh man, I really want to take Manny Machado. I'm going to take Manny Machado. He's due. I mean, he's due. he had a bad, bad first start to that, but you know, he had yeah. a he had home run. He, so. he had a game tying home run yeah. in that in that second game of that series to to um really kind of propel them into that victory in game two against the Cardinals. So, uh, but only hit 143 in that series. It's only three games. Really small sample size. So, Manny Machado. He, he he's my dude. I was going to go with him last week if Ken hadn't taken him. So Manny Machado, my favorite player in the game right now. That's who I'm taking. Now, before we go, since the football season started, we've been talking a little bit about some Ravens football to end the show. Ravens got embarrassed last week on Monday Night Football. There's no other, there's no getting around. Defense was bad. Offense was bad. Special teams was the only part of the game that that was any good for the Ravens. Washington has some hurt coming this this uh this Sunday would you agree yeah I mean the Ravens are angry and they're a far better team of course but they want to avenge that big loss they want to show everyone that they're not the fluke team that you know they, they are the team who went 14 to 2 last year but you know at Washington they have a lot of injuries Chase Young's out Cole Holcomb's out they have some really uh, quality players in that defensive line but it's definitely um you know an injured defensive line now I think the Ravens will dominate this one I'd be I'd be Hard, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to believe Haskins is going to be able to do anything against the Raven defense. You know, Haskins has thrown a lot of picks this year. He's thrown three to the Browns defense last year. The uh, or last week, the Browns blew out the Redskins and or the Washington football team, as I should call them, and the Ravens blew out the Browns. So I think the Ravens will win this one, uh, forty-five to twenty-three. Four, you're gonna, you think they're going to score twenty-three points? Yeah, I, I think there's a possibility. I mean, it, it's the Ravens defense was was gouged against the Chiefs, but you know I, I think there's a good possibility Washington scores a few. So my co-host on the football frenzy, Adam Rothkap, he said they were going to win 45 to 10. Jason Lockenfora oh. said they were going to win 45 to 10. You said 45 to 23. So 45 seems to be the number. I said 34 to 6. I don't see this team getting into the end zone against that Ravens defense, a pissed off Ravens defense. I'm not going to give the offense enough credit to get in the 40s this week just because that offensive line was absolutely terrible. Last week, and I think the Redskins' defensive front is a little bit better than the Chiefs. Uh, still, thirty-four to six. I think Lamar shows out, and I think that they need to get the ball in Gus Edwards' hands l- a little bit more. He's averaging seven point two yards yep. per carry. Leads the team in rushing. He only has eighteen carries. So, um, Ravens should win this one running away. I do want to say this: it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they go fifteen and one. And, and people gave me a lot of crap for this. But it really doesn't because there's only one team really standing in front of you right now. And you can say all you want about the Steelers or the Patriots. There's really only one team standing in front of you right now in the AFC, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. And Lamar and the Ravens are 0-3. Again, it's not a rivalry. 
It's not Manning Brady Part Two. It's Mahomes just being head and shoulders above everybody else in the league. If Mahomes is your best player, you're the best team. That's just the way it is. He's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, uh, and that's coming from a guy who loves Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning. He is the greatest quarterback I've, I've ever seen, and when the season, when his career ends, if he continues like this, he'll go down as the greatest of all time, and it won't even, yep. be, it won't even be close. Won't even be close. So until the Ravens can figure out how to beat the Chiefs, 15-1, and one, you can get to the AFC Championship game, doesn't matter because if, if you can't beat the Chiefs, you're not bringing the Lombardi home. You, you got to coach better. That's yeah. It comes from the coaching. You got to stick to your game plan. You got to run the ball. It's and, am- and that's how they'll win games. It's amazing to me after getting out coached in that Tennessee Titans game, after getting out coached in the playoffs against the Chargers. It's amazing to me that John Harbaugh still gets to use that excuse. You've been in this league since 2008 as a head coach. You're one of the longest tenure coaches in the NFL. You have a Super Bowl on your resume. You should never get out coached. Does Andy Reid? Get out coached? No, he rarely does. He, he rarely, rarely does. Yeah, I mean, John, John Harbaugh should not get out coached. You can be outplayed. You shouldn't get out coached. You shouldn't have a slip up like that. We got a run that's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Thanks for tuning in and for putting up with us as we talk about the Ravens at the end of the show. We're going to be doing that all football season. Sorry, guys. We, we love it, so we like to talk about it. So uh, we will see you next week to talk more Orioles, Nationals, and Major League Baseball. Until then, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week.